What's up, gifted family? Welcome to another episode of the show that is the GP YouTube. Just a reminder that if you support what we do here, make sure to go over to giftedperformance.com and sign up for our automated coaching service. For only a dollar a day, you'll get access to 15 highly customized training programs, a macronutrient calculator, our meal planning feature that lets you build and save meals based on your macros, as well as access to our private Facebook group. All subscriptions help us in continuing to put out great content to get you to your fitness goals. Thanks for stopping by, and without any further delay, let's get into today's video. Enjoy. It's another Q&A episode of the GPP, the Gift and Performance Podcast, where we give you the knowledge and practical insight to improve your own general physical preparedness. My co-host Draco is in the building. We're going to set him off to the side. He's got some really important things to say to you guys. So peep the Instagram story this week because they're going to be coming in hot. I am joined with three of my BFFs, one of which is currently in my house as we speak. Good old Paul. Hey, Paul. I don't like it. How are you? I don't like it, man. I hear you faster than your lips are moving. <laughs> Paul's in my house. Why is he in my house? I don't know. Did Christina kick him out of his own home? More than likely, yes. It, that is it the adds case. an extra layer to already how much I hate talking to you because now talking to you is like in delay. That's a fucking lie. So it's like I have to the hear recording. the bullshit before I see the bullshit. You see it? What are you talking about? Hey, Jimmy's <laughs> back there as well. Jimmy also on the podcast. Hey, guys, it's Jimmy. All right, now we're back. Our other two co-hosts here, Jason Holt, or as we call him, or as we called him on a previous episode, Tan Cam. Tan Cam down in my bottom right corner there. Tan Cam. <laughs> and we got the real Cam, Pale Cam, over on the left. But you're not very pale, man. Have you been tanning already? You trying to get that, that glow going? I got I got a little a little going on. Uh, Look, he's got that it, trend that, tr that trend baloney glow. It's fading so fast. Yeah, tan cam and pink cam. <laughs> MT2 orange cam. <laughs> All right. So because there might be some strange echo on this one with Cam or with uh, Paul's mic, I'm going to try and talk as little as possible. So I'm going to introduce these questions and I'm going to let these gentlemen go absolutely wild with their answers. Are you guys ready? Do you feel sufficiently prepared? Is there anything that you want to preface this episode with before we start? Good stories, um, maybe some advice for the people. You I'm only how... here because Dom's not. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually true. That's actually true. I had to pull true. him off the bench. You know how, like, your dong is always, like, what, two or three shades darker than the rest of your body? Could you imagine how red Cam's wiener is right now? It's, it's if you bad. didn't sign up for this content, <laughs> and if you're new to the channel, just go ahead and smash that subscribe <laughs> button right now because we're getting tan dong content coming to you every week on Thursday. It's not red. And people are going to be looking at me and be like, you know that guy? He's got a red dick. Red, <laughs> your red underscore rocket. <laughs> <laughs> Paul's got the yellow crayon. <laughs> oh yeah. 
right, and we're cutting it off before anyone gets to either myself or Jay because the jokes write themselves on those ones. (laughs) All right, guys, that is that's that's all the preface that you needed on this episode. We're gonna jump right into the questions. The first question comes from at Mike underscore Nassif Nassif Mike. His first name. A little bit more complicated than the second one. If I pronounced it wrong, you know, my apologies, as always. I'm not the best of names. Uh, Mike asks, what is the biggest factor you see holding people back from reaching their true potential? So we'll put that into a muscle building and fat loss context. The biggest factor you see holding people back from reaching their true potential in those two contexts. I think before we started recording, I said, wow, the shirt is off. We, we just, are here. And we Justin Timberlake hit our podcast. Dude. Justin Timberlake. Holy <laughs> shit, Mike. You got exactly what you wanted right there. Um, all right. Wants, is that a sports bra? The- <laughs> <laughs> Get the performance brand sports bra. <laughs> All right, gentlemen. What do you think? Who wants to start it off? Biggest factor you see holding people back from reaching their true potential in a muscle building fat loss context. Who uh, wants it? Cam wants it. Yeah. Uh, I think the biggest thing that holds people back across the board, whether it's athletes or just people getting into a healthier uh, lifestyle, um, I I think it's their mental state in terms of worrying about the little things that don't matter. Because at the end of the day, uh, especially when it comes to bodybuilding and any sport, really the the main thing that's going to separate the greatest athletes from the ones that are just okay are the ones who can do it consistently over time. And I think if you focus on too many little things that might hold uh, less of important value or insignificance, I think that they're going to push burnout uh, or increase the risk of burnout too early um, and start questioning themselves if they're doing everything right. When at the end of the day, you know, you might have three to five things that are super basic that you need to check off day to day and week to week that are going to get you where you need to go. And I don't think enough people realize how true or how long it can take to get to where they need to be. Patience. I think patience is a big word there. Not getting, not getting too wrapped up in the small things. What do you, what do you think it is that actually drives that burnout? Because I see that, I, I see that all the time. People obsess over those little variables. Is it like they just have too much to think about? Maybe they're disappointed when the results don't pan out from obsessing over those little variables. What is, what actually drives that burnout? Uh, burnout has a lot to do with uh, like pressure, and, and I think a lot of it is pressure you put on yourself um and it like it can be things like a lot of people when they first get into bodybuilding and there's it's exciting right and they're making all these gains and then maybe they have these ideas of competing and they let it consume their fucking brain space all day long they wake up immediately start thinking about bodybuilding between every meal like every time they pass a mirror shirtless they're like oh let me hit this my favorite figure pose and like just constantly all day long and it's like yeah, they never get that break. And uh, like both mentally, I mean, I, I think it's just a lot of it's just mental because at the end of the day, it's not that hard. You eat your meals, you train, and then just don't think about bodybuilding the rest of the day. Get your sleep, 
I think a big factor or or something that contributes to a lot of that is social media, Mm -hmm. Um, especially with bodybuilding. And it basically, you know, if you're in the sport, you're realized you've realized and are aware that basically there's its own world um, of bodybuilding out there. And I think when you get into the sport and get into that, I guess, niche in social media, it might look like bodybuilding is going on 24 seven, just because you're following so many people or you're following competitors who are posting all the time of things that might not even be current or whatever the case may be. When in reality, you know, you're looking at one person that probably is spending two hours a day and that's it. But you've got 20 people that you're looking at. So you see it going on 24 seven. I have one thing to add to that. And I think I know guys definitely, um, you know, it hits guys to you, but I feel like I hear it worse from women or more often from women <clears throat> is seeing stuff on Instagram and thinking that's a reflection of like, uh, how a lot of people live their lives and like they feel like they're doing something wrong or they're not good enough if they aren't that's not reflected in their own life. Like um, some females may give off the perception they stay really lean all year because they're posting old photos or they took photos for the whole year after their show or um, not or posting. Elite athletes who just can look like that the yeah. majority of the year. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, like I hear that all the time from like female. I mean, like so many trends are started on Instagram and stuff. And like, I bet you could trace back like lip injections, surges in like boob jobs and like all kinds of cosmetic surgeries from like, um, the rise of like the popularity of Instagram and shit like that. Jay, anything to add? (laughs) I think sometimes what it is, it can be like, uh, we create sort of these blind spots to our own limitations. Um, you know, I think back to when I first got started, I mean, I'm not the shortest guy. I'm not really a long boy, but I'm like six foot tall. And I thought that I was going to be Mr. Olympia. And I think about now and I'm like, it's six foot tall. I had to be like 300 plus pounds. I just thought that that was the thing that I was going to do. So I think it kind of follows even, you know, lifestyle clientele or people that just want to get in great shape. They're like, I'm going to go to the gym seven days a week. I'm going to eat clean. 45 times a day. I'm going to drink, you know, a gallon of water. They make all these sort of grandiose goals with not taking into account, like I can't go to the gym seven days a week because I have a family to take care of, or I have a job full time. Like I don't have time. So usually what happens is they, you know, you kind of shoot yourself out of a cannon. You do that for like two weeks and then you fall off because you realize that you can't do it. And then you blame it on the system as opposed to your sort of unrealistic expectations of the things that you can do. So a lot of people, they kind of focus on stuff that they just would never be able to do as opposed to focusing on the things that they're they're actually capable of doing and sort of spending time getting really good at those things. What do they say about comparison? It's the thief of joy. Is that that's, the thing? That sounds good. It's, uh, okay. it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you guys have never heard that saying, that's that's the saying I just came up with. I just made that up right now. <laughs> now, now be impressed. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. But no, I mean, it's, it's very true that the comparison is the thief of joy. And people are very poor at kind of coming to terms with their own limitations of like what their true potential actually looks like. They look at someone like, you know, 
Jamal, for example, like Jamal Browner. And they're like, man, if I like, you know, if I can just like perfectly emulate his setup, if I can just perfectly emulate his, his physique, his build, like I'll be able to, you know, deadlift 900 for five or over a thousand pounds at some point. It's like, no, you'll probably not end up anywhere even remotely close to that. But if you train as hard as you can today and you continue that for five years, I promise that in five years, when you look back, you'll be so much further ahead of where you were instead of taking like what Jay said, an approach of like, I need to train two times a day, seven days a week. Holy shit, this is hard. I give up. Back to the couch I go. And then that kind of like go hard, big Napoleonic goals, relapse, big goals, relapse, that 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 cycle that individuals get into. Hey, Jimmy. And then one thing I'll add, too, is I think people greatly underestimate the the meaning of reaching true potential. Like you're talking about your entire lifetime, the best you will ever be. And you've got people that are getting into things and doing it for two years and thinking that you could do something for two, three years and be the best that you'll ever be in your entire life. And I mean, you will, you will if you stop there. But I think the day with uh, talking about the social media stuff, you know, they're viewing and seeing these athletes when they're approaching the prime in their career, because that's when you know, they became relevant, you know, they didn't become relevant when they were starting out in the sport, putting in the time, putting in the years, they're seeing these athletes at the peak of their, their prime or on the upcoming, uh, on the up swing of their careers and not realizing that, you know, they've been doing this for years and years and years, and they're trying to mimic and, and set themselves like, Oh, I want to go from step one to step five. And they don't realize like, Oh, there's, way more steps that come from the the time that needs to be put in they haven't done yeah i'm ready i got another one the iceberg phenomenon you guys know what the iceberg phenomenon is you only see the tip of the iceberg but you can't see the base of this guy yeah this guy you don't see all that stuff underneath that went into it you just you just Just see the the tip. tip that's actually where just the tip started from it really? doesn't have that horrible. No, no, of course not. Are you fucking kidding me? No, it didn't start. I mean, I that. thought you were full of shit, oh, but I was going to hear penises. you out. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, I want to get serious for a second. No, I like what Jason said, and I think you can almost like uh, kind of turn, take take a beer from that a little bit, and. I don't know what what I see a lot is just consistency in like all things and even some of the small things like uh, occasionally like I'll have a client ask me like hey how important do you think sleep is and their sleep is super inconsistent it's like, like hey yeah you'll probably grow better getting eight hours seven or eight hours most nights rather than like a variable between like four and six and maybe eight occasionally you know and just crunching down on that stuff or aren't willing to consistently count their macros and stuff or have some quantifiable way of like measuring their food. So, you know, consistency and tracking your workouts and trying to pro- uh, progress consistently, shit like that, just consistency everywhere. Yeah. And, start, and you know, yeah. and I guess sort of, uh, I don't know, Jason's reminded me of that because, you know, he just, sort of mentioned starting with what you can do and like maybe building from that. Yeah, I can take that. So what's the what's the TLDR here on this one? Jay, bring us full circle on reaching your true potential. 
Know your up own limitations. Up the dose. Understand your own limitations, the things that you can and cannot do, whether it be time constraints or your own, the way you're built, whatever that is. Just understand those own limitations, but then also realize that there's just a shit ton of work that's involved and a lot of hard work to either be actually be competitive. There's a difference between competing and being competitive or just changing your lifestyle to get in shape. There's a, just a ton of work and just going to it, understanding both of those things. And I'm a, is he too? One second, one second. Is you're going to do all the work. You're going to get five, seven, ten years into it. And you're going to look back and you're going to be like, why the fuck did I spend so much time on that? I could be like anything right now if I dedicated that, that amount of time to anything else. I could be a billionaire. <laughs> Well, so you're saying that my my bodybuilding career isn't going to pan out. Ten years of bodybuilding isn't going to pan <laughs> out like maybe like ten talk. years of like studying like math and working for NASA. Fuck, man! I really thought Muscle Tech was going to sponsor me, but I, I walk guess I around in public and other dudes are like, "Hey, man, you're fucking yoked." That's all I got. <laughs> <laughs> no, my favorite. I talked to somebody that I played football with in high school a few days ago, and he trains at the LA Fitness that you're at. Paul and Marietta but anytime that I talk to someone that knows you they're just like oh yeah that really jacked Asian guy with the beard and glasses trains here too <laughs> you're just always the really jacked Asian guy oh yeah we were at uh we were at the bar where Jimmy and Lexi work and we were talking to two guys and Paul gets up to go to the bathroom and the guys are like that guy's fucking jacked like, <laughs> like I work out but that guy is like fucking jacked <laughs> <laughs> so yeah it's that's pretty much what you get you start for the ladies you basically just live for the adoration of other gentlemen in the same pursuit as you <laughs> so get ready for it folks all right let's go on to uh another question from clark plant uh at mcgrizzle 3k a friend of uh mr kuza himself this is a good one right here. Uh, some red flags that make oh, you not Paul. want to look work with clients. Paul's ready on this one. Um, I'll start with my biggest red flag is when the first thing that a new client wants to do is talk shit about their old coach. I That is the biggest red flag right away. My coach made me do this, had me do that. He, she was such a piece of shit. I'm like, all right. How many coaches have you worked with in the past year? Six. Okay. Now we got some, some serious red flags going up. Maybe it's a you problem. You don't say that. You don't come out. Like, you know, have you considered the fact that, like, maybe you're the you're problem not, here? You're not you thinking don't... of it right. You, you, what, when they hit you with that, you got to be like, oh, you were eating a thousand. We're going to give you so much food. You're, <laughs> you're going to take so much less shit. He, he just filled you up with drugs. Like, you, you just, you just got to feed him the shit, man. Paul, let, like, let him know you're better. The Paul biggest feeds into the cycle. <laughs> biggest red flag. I want to see what I can achieve naturally first. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> that that could be good or bad. We're either wasting our time or I have you for an extra year or two. <laughs> Paul, what's our policy on drugs? Drugs are bad. Okay. Bad. Very bad. Okay. All right. Uh, what are some red flags for you, Paul? You immediately started shaking your head. Oh, the red man. Flag when I get a 
application. Usually, I haven't come across a male, usually female, and I look at their story and they are a nutcase. They're like crying real tears on their story and like just all the emotional baggage, man. I've learned I've learned to check check Instagram stories before I take somebody on. Do some wait. wait no, I, I got a, I got a second one. I got another one. The close second behind when it says in their application, I think that I know what works best for me. That one kills me. That one kills me. Ooh, one more, one more. You because <laughs> um, when yeah, you check their application and they have like a food sensitivity allergy to fucking everything. Paul, <laughs> oh, how is your white rice allergy? Is it getting better? Oh, uh, dude, I'm Asian. If the, if I was if I had an allergy to white rice, like I don't deserve to live on this planet. Like I would not be able to survive. I just I I should have been dead. Like I just can't stop eating it. It's like, it's like Dom being allergic like pita, to pita and hummus. <laughs> okay, no, Cam, unbelievable. Just the racism here is just uncalled for. The Kitchen Performance does not stand behind or endorse the viewpoints of one Cameron Cheek. I'm gonna quickly transition over to Jay. Do you have any? Do you have any food intolerances? This has quickly turned into a food intolerance question. Jay, tell him. Tell him. Only people that can afford food intolerances are rich white people. That's <laughs> 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 You heard it here, folks. So, Jay, what kind of, What are some red flags that you look for? Things that stand out to you, either in communications with client, or maybe it's on the application, or maybe it's in like those first couple weeks or months of working with someone. Uh, it's, it's definitely that, you know, if somebody says they've had a lot of coaches, you know, over the, like, Oh, I've worked with six coaches this year. And I'm kind of like, Whoa, like what is going on? So that's the big red flag. That's like number one on the list. If you've had a bunch of coaches over the course of your two year career, there's probably something wrong with you and not the coaches. But I mean, I think I made, you know, a rant on my stories about this one. So the people that look for help from a coach and they have this preconceived notion of what they think they need. And then as a coach, we give them something different than what they think they need. And then it's our fault because we don't know what we're doing. And it's like, you're the athlete or you're the person looking to get in shape. You obviously have sort of owned the fact that you don't know what you're doing because you're not making progress anymore. Now you've sought out help. And now you're like, Oh, that's not the thing that I need. I need something else. You don't know what you're doing. You've already admitted to it. Just sort of, lie in that just just go ahead and let it let it glow around you just you know and just understand that you had no idea what you're doing and now you've looked for help so just take the help just accept it and if you were to hypothetically hypothetically receive some advice such as do some abs that are of your choice just do <laughs> and then you know and then move on from there and just realize that you might be getting some good advice yeah, I like that. I like it. Cam, let's hear it. Uh, so I think mine definitely have to be up there with what you guys had mentioned, especially the coaches one uh, with having multiple coaches within a short history. Uh, but one that really bothers not bothers me, just kind of makes me like, nah, because uh, I get it a lot is whenever on the application forums, it's talking about short term and long term goals is whenever I see pro card as the only goal. It's just like, mm, I don't want to work with somebody that's just take, chasing a title, you know, especially whenever I go look at the athlete, 
you've never even competed before, and it honestly makes me question if you've even seen what a pro bodybuilder looks like. Um, <laughs> it's kind of like, wait, is this a joke? Like, uh, do you submit the wrong photos? And, I, you know, I don't think it's bad at all to have that in the back of your mind in a goal, but I don't really view getting a pro card as a goal, more so just a trade-off of achieving other goals. Um, because at the end of the day, you know, you're working to build a physique that's good enough to earn a pro card. You're not trying to just get a pro card without, you know, working towards the other goals that are needed to be achieved to get there. Can I add, isn't it fucking wild when you get an application and somebody's like, yeah, I'd like to go for my pro card in 2021. And they've done like one or two amateur shows and you're like, just instant gratification. Or they've never never done a show. I imagine the person that says like, I'm going to get my pro card never having competed before. Like you pass them a basketball and they catch that. And they look at the ball and they're just like, NBA? I'm ready for NBA? <laughs> Drafted out of high school? <laughs> How oh hard God. can that be? <laughs> uh, I had like uh, I, I had a girl yesterday fill out an application and it, it was somebody she had never competed before, but just looking at her, I can already tell like if this season goes well. We'll probably do a national show. And her goal was, I just want to go in and do true novice and do really well and see how I place an open. And I'm like, dude, you're going to make you people cry. Cry. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, you're gonna you're gonna make people cry it's at the show. So you don't see that kind of pureness in people anymore. No, didn't even mention one thing about a national show. Just I just wanna compete for the first time, see how it goes. And I'm like I'm not telling you this, but we're probably going to go for a national show. You're, you're just like, I'll coach you for free. Fuck it. <laughs> that was Judy. That was Judy when I first started working with her. She's like, I just think it would be like cool to get on stage. And then she sends me her photos. And I'm like, how do I break this to you? Uh, like, if you get on show or if you get on the stage, all the other girls at that show are going to do a lot of crying when they see you backstage because they realize that they just talked all this shit on Instagram about how amazing that they were going to do. And they just got waxed by some first time competitor. It's weird how like the people who have never competed before probably aren't going to do that well to begin with are like the most disillusioned. They're like, oh yeah, Olympia for sure. And then you get the people like Cam was talking about that's like so genetically gifted and oblivious to where they are in life. They're just like, you know, um, I think like, you know, getting lean enough to be on stage one day would be a really big win for me. There's huge polarity. Why can't anyone just like exist in the middle there? I just want to get some people in the middle. That like competing will be fun, doing well will be fun. I'm trying to learn the process along the way so that I I can stay in shape for life. You know, not make bodybuilding my. Paul and I were talking about this yesterday. The people that like latch onto it and make it their entire identity, and they burn out in like all of eight months. They're like never heard of bodybuilding. Now I am bodybuilding. Kind of a side tangent there. And you are also not. Oh, really? <laughs> um. They step outside of bodybuilding. They're like, oh wait, hold on. No one, no one even knows what bodybuilding is. Everyone thinks it's some like weird sport. Like area of conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to talk about macros? What are macros? Well, I'm out of subjects to talk about. All right, that's that's all I've got. It's funny. Do you guys you get just... nervous? Do you guys get nervous if you get a, uh, an application and you feel like the person might know too much? Like they're like spitting out too many words, and you're like, oh shit, this person thinks they know everything. 
Yeah. I, I'm usually, yeah. Well, yeah. When you said it that way, I thought you meant like from a, oh my God, this guy's going to make me look dumb. Hasn't happened yet. But I have gotten people <laughs> that like sound, uh, make it seem like they're, I'm like, oh, okay. I, I can, you know, we, we can bounce things off of each other here. And then I hear some of this stuff and I'm just like, mm, no. Then you go to their Instagram. <laughs> and they no. have- you just believe all the bullshit and you just happen to like find a couple nugs that you threw at me. Damn. Damn. You, go, you go to their Instagram and it looks like that Lord Krug guy. They're just throwing out all sorts of those words have, all over the place. They have fucking Frankenstein wires hooked up all on their bodies and are just twitching in the gym. Like, <laughs> I opened up my fucking chest cavity. That East, that East M stuff. Did you see, uh, like, Kai Green made a post about it where he was, like, training some, like, lateral raises or something with East Dude, M on his tail. Kai delt. Green fucked a grapefruit. I don't, I don't That's care. All you need to know. That's all you need to know. But yeah, I can just see that stuff going crazy now. Maybe we'll answer a question about why East M is, is foolish for hypertrophy training in uh, the days to come, the weeks to come. I need to bring Mike on for that one. Most definitely. Bring old Mike on. Mike has a disdain, a natural disdain for East M. I have an East M machine around here somewhere. I'm not going to talk about where I got it from. Or who I might have stolen it from because I don't want to incriminate myself on the podcast. You know, Jake told me Jake is the wonderful individual at Dr. Chip Wait on Instagram. If you want to give him a follow, he drops fantastic beats. He's also a Twitch streamer. Um, he was telling me that he was going to report me to Walmart corporate for stealing this guy. Instead, I made an admission of guilt and it was his job to turn me in. Unbelievable. Um, some other red flags. And what else? Most thing, red flags. Um, when people are too, it makes me a little bit nervous when people are like, I think Paulie mis- mentioned it, but like when they're this super hardcore bodybuilder, like the guy that says that I live for this brother, this is my life. This is all I have. Those people make me very nervous because that's the only, that's the thing that you decided that you wanted to latch onto. If you're wearing a hoodie and a sweat, like a sweatshirt sweatpants and a hoodie and those ridiculous otomics shoes all day long you know you could have just stopped you could have just stopped at otomic shoes you could have been like listen if you wear otomic shoes i think i made a post of this on my story like a while ago and it was like all right big leg day got to do deadlifts got to do squats what shoes do i wear how about like wrestling shoes from the 90s you know what man ideal footwear I want to what what gets me it's like being in a relationship with your dog like you can never match the excitement like they're just like they they, they're so hype and they send you like a photo and they're just so hype about it you're just like looking good dude like you just can't fucking I just I can't be where you're at right now ever that was was seven years ago I can't even see the progress you made because I got this less than 12 hours ago (laughs) you sent me check-ins yesterday saying after meal five 1.75 liters of water in and you look exactly the same (laughs) here's one here's one if you start tagging me on your story before the payment has processed I already hate you if you haven't paid me yet and you're already tagging me and shit, we're done. This is our relationship is over. Just kidding. You can tag me whenever you want. I'll get tagged and stuff and be like, oh, looking great, man. Like, don't know how you know who I am, whatever. And they're like, oh, yeah, I was planning on hiring you in a few months. And I'm like, <laughs> sounds good. 
you know it's like like it'd be cool if they were like an anomaly right but it's always like some guy and you're like uh i don't need people thinking you're my client because one you're not and two you don't look like you should be like <laughs> no. oh dude clients that have like 800 followers on instagram and they're like hey man like i'll shout you out on my story if you give me a discount on my next month of coaching uh, that one believable the gall the the, the audacity how there. dare you oh, yeah how dare you i couldn't agree more did you say you haven't had that one before no Man, I'm trying to think. Uh, so th these are red flags like uh, that are coming through with an application form, right? Like on first glance. Any red flag. You you look at their profile and it's all just photos of them in a towel and their OnlyFans link. Whatever, man. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Those are our red flags. It was extensive. I'm sure we could sit here and think of many, many more if we had to. Um, all right. Our next question comes from at a Calabats. It was like a typo. It should have been like kill a bat. Bats can kill you. A call a bot. Yeah, I think that's the cam. Cam pronounced it better than me. All right, this is a very fun question. Um, this individual, Mr. Kalabat, says, and then, and then he goes on. Or do they require too much recovery with also a limited ability to overload? Uh, I'm going to repeat it because you were cutting out and doing a bunch of weird, like, repeating stuff with Paul. But it said, are flies useful or do they require too much recovery with also a limited ability to overload? I am going to say... Uh, the, the limited ability to overload, that that's for sure, man. I, I don't like giving them out. I, I do give them to some clients, and it can be a beneficial movement um, for some people that may need the extra volume there or maybe because, uh, you know, mechanically they're not suited well for a lot of, you know, pressing movements or certain pressing variations. But... I don't like giving them out because a lot of people end up getting hurt because you can't progress them like you can other movements. You're adding load. It's great. You're adding load. It's great. Then one day you add a little bit of load and you're like, your form looks like shit. You're doing crazy shit, partial range of motion. You send me a message eight weeks after I've given them to you and you're like, my shoulder hurts all the fucking time. And now we can't do like anything that we want to with our shoulder. Um, I, you have to program them. I, I personally feel you have to program them a little differently. Do you know treat them differently in terms of progression? You know, um, maybe focus more on rep progression, set set volume progression. Um, be careful with your loads, keeping form really tight. A lot of people don't know how to do them well. They're just like, okay, how complicated can it be? My arm goes here and it goes here and they're not doing what they should be with like their, their shoulder blades and stuff. Um, so yeah. And then in terms of the recovery, that can be like a good or bad thing, but like you should be able to like moderate your, uh, your volume and you know just your overall program to fit them in recovery wise but you know yeah that's good or bad because they provide a lot of local fatigue and stimulus without a ton of systemic fatigue uh but 
they they can you you get a lot of stretch on them. They can cause a lot of damage, and, and they can increase your time to recover. And I, I feel like something like flies, and it, it's personally just coming from how I feel with them. Uh, I feel like that's a movement. I don't know if it's because the weight is so far away from your body, uh, but as the intensity starts to climb and fatigue starts to build up, I feel like it's something that it's a lot easier to lose form or range of motion change on things without you being aware of it. You know, kind of like doing a pressing movement it's a lot easier repeating the same motion over and over again. But I feel like something with flies, it's easy. You know, your shoulder starts coming forward when it's not supposed to, or maybe it's pinching back in a way it's not supposed to. And it's changing from uh, how you're supposed to do them and what what's normal for you. Yeah, I don't like to use the word isolation movements because yeah doesn't make a lot of sense and muscles don't work well in isolation but that's one of those movements where it's really difficult when the intensity gets high to kind of gauge what you're doing because as the intensity gets high people tend to bend their elbows a bunch and then it turns into a weird kind of fly slash peck and that's that's an exercise that could be useful for some people i think uh jet alberts from 3dmj that's an exercise that he uses on a regular basis and almost a pet slash fly. Um, but if I program them, I usually program them as an accessory, number one. And then also usually like in the higher ish rep ranges. So I'll kind of use that 15 to 30 and I'll just, you know, kind of stick with the same level, stick with the same weight and just kind of chip away rep by rep. And then eventually you just can't really do them anymore because the difference between some, if somebody's doing God, they're doing like a 40 pound dump, which I don't even know how many people can do use that much but then they go to 45 that's a completely different world when you go from a 40 it's like side laterals are the same sort of exercise where it's like small incremental increases in weight almost completely changes the exercise altogether so i think those two exercises are probably fairly similar in the way they're programmed it's like i'd much rather program them with repetitions as opposed to increases in, in weight i'm the same way man where uh like i might give somebody a poundage on their week one or whatever um and i'll say hey we're not increasing load until we can do five more reps than where we started or i'll increase the number of sets uh or i may even just say hey this is the poundage you're doing for the next four weeks and then i'll look at it and assess whether we're going up in weight you know, and then I'll give them a new poundage or something. It's not the same as like, hey, every week we want a small incremental increase in load or even every other week we may not. <laughs> and you got to think, too, with a movement like that where load can, can change a whole lot. You know, you may have one week where you're super stimulated, super recovered, energy is super high and you're able to perform really well. Go in the next week and you run down and you do that movement, you end up getting hurt just because fatigue's built up. Yeah. I'll also how, add program. Oh. Yeah. How about let me let me throw one more in here. Um, how about the possibility of using like machine flies? So getting that's away what from, I was going to say is I, I preferably program machines and cables because um, a lot of times those machines and cables already kind of move up in smaller increments or they have like a little thing where you can add a five. And also with machines and cables, you can take a little two and a half pound weight and stab the pin through it into the weight stack. So we can uh, go in smaller increments there. And plus 
those are just better designed. Like on a dumbbell fly, there there are points of the movement where you lose tension because gravity only pushes in one direction, and uh, those cables and the um, flies keep some some constant tension on there. Not that constant tension is a necessary aspect of hypertrophy, but. Oh, remember when I gave you flies in your program and Boyvin called me an idiot? <laughs> Did he? I think I, I remember that. <laughs> so what's your what's your favorite fly variation? Like do you go for the cables? I think I prefer the pec deck fly. I think just because especially like a good pec deck fly has like so many incremental weights before you actually have to jump to the next stack. Like you get a really good one where you can add two and a half five and then it's like a seven and a half jump and it's like there's so many built-in weight increments there that it just creates such a good like continuum of loading would you agree seems like you agree with me which is yes thing to do. too it's like the smith machine of a fly basically yeah it just which can be good or bad yeah. you know like uh i mean it's good because that's one less component where your form can break but at the same time you know, some of us need to move with slightly different, you know, angles in our like arm and stuff. And I know pay attention to where you put the seat. That's important. That is some important. people. I see some. Uh, I used to train with some people. And some like, people are just day, up here, like, fucking like oh, like my seat setting is seven on Mondays, and then I go up to a one on Wednesdays, and then on Friday <laughs> I drop it all the way down to a twelve. So They're periodizing their uh, like dude, you're literally shocked. You're shocking your AC joint into separation. <laughs> I will say, though, from uh, my own personal experience with Paul doing my training, I've always been somebody that has run into uh, chest injuries and strains and stuff like that. And it, it almost seems like any time that we had flies programmed within a two or three month span, there was some kind of injury that was going to happen. And ever since we stopped doing them, I mean, knock on wood, but I don't remember the last time that I've strained my pec or whatever was going on. And things have been super smooth ever since we stopped doing them. It's a crazy move. It, it, it can't, for most people, it does place them in more vulnerable positions. But also, I would ask people, because whenever... Like, do you like it because it's necessary? Do you want to do it because it's necessary and it's going to help you progress? Or do you just like it because it gives you a sick pump? Yeah. Like, it's okay to do stuff that that it gives you a pump. Like, a pump is, like, I wouldn't say it's, uh, what, like, just something not to consider in training. But, like... I don't know, man. I feel like programming should should involve just a little more. And like you, it's not always about what you want to do, you know? Yeah. It's about what is going to be. And I think a lot of people, I think a lot of people want to do flies because they feel like they're not feeling their chest or activating it well on a bench press. And they can fix your form. Yeah. (laughs) Also, also like. If, if you're anywhere within the realm of like a few reps of failure, going to failure, or just using a heavy load, there's no way your chest isn't working on a press. Yeah. Like some people are built to where they may receive a, a slightly biased stimulus, you know, on other muscles or maybe early in a set, but you're not not using your pecs on a press. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, as, as you approach 
failure, you're going to feel that stimulus in the weakest part of the chain there. So if you're doing a pressing movement and your triceps are phenomenally weak as you approach failure, you're going to feel that greater amount of stimulus in the weak point like your triceps. But that's fine because you're using a compound movement to hit more than one muscle group if you want to isolate. And if you've got a good coach that's using quote-unquote isolation, single joint, whatever you want to call it, movements, then there's going to be some more volume thrown at those movements. But I actually had a, a biomechanical question for you, Paul. How much of Cam's shoulder injuries from flying do you think is due to his limb is due to his limb length it's yeah. just due to having such long arms and having that load removed so far away from the actual joint itself i would definitely say that that is probably a uh, a big or a, a piece of the puzzle i think there's some other things to factor in now that i've worked with camps for so long uh, log limb length is huge man for pressing for curls uh it seems he fatigues very quickly in, on movements um but also i think tom in, i mean tom uh cam in general um fatigues a little faster than most people so we have to be really careful about volume as well in general and, and then also i guess that kind of does factor into the long limb, long limb links because a you know a further traveling a further distance so a rep for him and me they're not equal they're not the same amount of work um and then uh i think some of it also with cam maybe comes down to previous injuries in football and you know bad coaching in his younger years we used to go in because we only had 50 minute uh classes in school because we had eight of them a day we wouldn't have time to warm up he would tell us yeah if you want to warm come up in warm. come up come in early and it's like yeah i highly doubt that my history teacher is gonna let me <laughs> class 15 minutes early to go warm up for bench press <laughs> but yeah that, that definitely what was yeah. a big because like with the fatigue thing with cam too which we're starting to find out more and more as this program evolves is i have to give him a lot more conservative work um shire of failure or else he gets like three sets into working out a muscle and he's done toast it's just reps fall off everywhere else and there's nothing wrong with cam he just pro fatigues faster than most people and you know I mean, that could be a good thing. That means he just has to do maybe less work, which I don't think that's a bad thing. I, I, I would guys. agree with you. But like also at some point you have to maybe wonder, I guess, way out. What do you think could be better? Um, like surely Cam's cap for volume and optimal volume isn't like three sets a week. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like. <laughs> yeah. All right. Mr. A. Kalamats, are flies useful? Of course they are, using the right context. Do they require too much recovery? No, unless you're injuring yourself with them, so don't do that. Uh, is there limited ability to overload? No, nah, you just need to overload the right variables. And like Paul and Jay said, you probably want to overload reps up to a high rep count as opposed to focusing too much on overloading by adding load to the bar or adding load to the dumbbell each week. Oh. Quick and strategic quick placement. Cam. Sorry. Strategic placement. <laughs> quick question for Cam. Cam, you just got called Tom. How do you feel about that? It's an honor. It's an honor. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. 
<laughs> All right, our last question for the day. And I told him that he was going to get punished for this one. So brace yourself. Bring out the Vaseline because the punishment has begun. Oh. It's from our good friend Omar Rivera at the underscore Omar Rivera. I think he pulled this from one of Broderick's Q&As where Broderick was talking about tempo and the uselessness of tempo within uh, training for hypertrophy. So Omar asks, why would someone want to program tempo work if the goal is hypertrophy? I think I'll let our main training guy, Paul, take this. Let let Jay add some 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 points there, and then Cam and I can, can come in on come in on the tail end of that one. Oh, Paul, what is um, what would you say is like the benefit of using tempo, like a reasonable tempo? Define. Let's actually let's start there. Let's start by defining what a reasonable tempo would be in the hypertrophy context, because there are people that take it too far, right? And I believe there's even some research showing that like excessive tempos, like 10 seconds up, 10 seconds down, is uh, either not beneficial or maybe even harmful towards positive outcome when compared to something more normal. But, you know, I would say um, appropriate tempo, probably anywhere between two to five seconds, one to five seconds, I guess, like because a pause could could be as short as a second. Um, And then also having some sort of strategy and placing tempo where because the appropriateness of tempo is that it makes sense for the movement, right? Like you wouldn't do a, a three second pause at the top of an SLDL, right? But you might do uh, you might do one second pause at the bottom or something, you know, and a three second negative. Um, I would also say for the most part, concentric should be fast. And then for hypertrophy, maybe focus on slower eccentrics. Um, if you want the constant tension, potentially, um, you know, like I've done a hold at, uh, at a tricep extension where it makes sense and there's still tension, but for a different purpose, not necessarily because, because a lot of people have this misunderstanding or this, just this notion that like constant tension is better for hypertrophy and it's not, it's better for fatiguing faster, you know, um, you know, it's like the uh, I don't lock out my bench press because constant tension, you know, um, did that was that helpful in defining appropriate tempo? Yeah. Yeah. Let me ask you what you quantify as a fast concentric, because I think people will hear fast concentric and they'll that's, kind of misinterpret that. I think that's important. So um, I'm not OK. I. Fast concentric, probably a second or less. Um, I mean, you can have something a little slower, but this is just me personally. I'm I'm sure some asshole will find a reason to say it's not. I'm wrong or whatever, but I like for concentrics um, under control to be as as fast as possible. And that is just because a lot of the work I do um, and how I get people used to gauging RIR is uh, by looking at bar speed. Right. And being using that as a determinant of um, fatigue. But I will say there are some movements and some muscles where you may be more prone to injury that way. So you might want to be careful, like hamstring curls. Hamstrings are are easier to uh, hurt 
with explosive movements, potentially biceps. And for some movements, you may even like those, you may even just start with uh, something more controlled, not as fast as you can go, but then intentionally try to try to move it at a maximal velocity as it gets harder and you approach fatigue. Does that make sense? Yeah. And by that, you're sure. matching the speed of earlier reps. You're so, yeah. Um, yeah. Was that helpful? So, yeah. Let, let me, let me throw in another one here. Hypertrophy as a process is tension mediated. The stimulus that you're looking to create is, is tension mediated. The greater the tension, the greater the stimulus, the greater the hypertrophic response. Where in the continuum of muscular contraction, the continuum being concentric, isometric, eccentric, does the muscle feel the greatest tension stimulus? The eccentric, right? Correct. So, no. So, it, yeah. So, so if you are trying to elicit the greatest amount of hypertrophic response over the course of a set, it makes sense to elongate the eccentric up to a certain point to provide the greatest stimulus to the muscle. So, why don't you use a fast? But yeah, yeah, potentially. So uh, here's here's what I'm coming around to. A faster concentric decreases the time of tension over the course of the entire set, allowing you to spend more time creating tension through the eccentric, the strapped under, under load. Well, so if I'm doing, <laughs> oh god, god. So if I so if I'm doing, you know, let's let's use an example of like a, like a hack squat hack squat's a good movement if i'm doing a three second eccentric so this would be like a three one one zero tempo three seconds on the way down one second pause at the bottom one second on the way up no pause at the top that elongated eccentric would i like you said theoretically provide a, a solid hypertrophy stimulus now if i elongate the concentric to three seconds what i've essentially done is i've added an extra two seconds of time under tension in that set which may limit the amount of total reps that i get over the set which is going to decrease the amount of time spent in that eccentric muscular action that's the way that i look at it wait if you add seconds to the eccentric component if you add seconds to the concentric oh well the problem with adding seconds to the concentric is um it, it doesn't really do anything. So we, when we talk about tension and time under tension, yeah, if you add seconds to the concentric part of the movement, you're spending more, you have more time under the tension in the concentric portion. But going slow for the sake of going slow is not what's important. Going slow because you fatigued your lower threshold motor units and those fibers associated with those. Um, and now you're activating your higher threshold motor units and those are becoming fatigued. Like that's where being slow is important for hypertrophy. So a lot of people um, sort of, they're like, oh, you know, the the most stimulative reps are the reps that slow down some so i'm just going to do the entire every single rep really slow it doesn't work out that way does that did that make sense yeah one yeah thing, no I, I i'm in line with that cam go ahead one thing i wanted to add to uh where i feel like a lot of value is held with tempo work and where i like to use it a lot is with newer clients, especially those that are new into lifting. Uh, I think it's great for learning movements. You know, you slow things 100%. down. Um, you're able to really focus on things. Uh, 
you know, when they're sending video, it's a lot easier to break things down too when they've got everything slowed down. Um, and I, I think whenever you're, whenever you get into things and you're doing more tempo work, whenever you go into exercises where you don't have a prescribed tempo, you know how to control the loads a lot better. Um, yeah. You know how to, I guess, embrace the inertia of the load on the eccentric uh, portions of the lift and redirect it uh, in the concentric portion. Um, and, and then I think, too, you know, kind of going back to like the flies and dumbbell lateral raises or just maybe somebody who isn't, you know, crazy strong on certain lifts, being able to add tempos to things where, you know, the next dumbbell up is you know, a crazy 25% load based off of just five pounds, you're able to add tempos with things and slow it down so that you're, you know, stimulating things without overloading things. Or potentially getting the same type of wear and tear. I want to, uh, what Cam said, almost, uh, reiterate, um, that's really how important that is, is that I'll, we use tempo to teach people how to lift because, uh, you know, you get a, a new client or a video and their tricep extensions are like three quarter ranges of motion. But if you teach them, okay, we're going to do a three second negative and then you're going to do a fast concentric and then you're going to hold it at lockout for a second. They're now emphasizing portions of lift they might not have before. You give them an eccentric on a hack squat. They used to just slam to the bottom of it and you're kind of giving them uh, like retraining they, they leave with that muscle memory and they're like, oh, I need to control my eccentrics on hack squats and leg press and squat now. Um, you're like retraining them. And, and another thing, too, yeah. with people that are doing uh, exercises with partial partial range of motion, if you give somebody a three or four second negative on that. It's going to be really hard and extremely slow to take a four second negative on a quarter rep. You know, they're, they're going to realize, like, this is absurdly uh, slow to do a four-second uh, negative on something I'm doing half of a rep, you know? And they're probably realizing, like, oh, like, uh, I, I need to do this full rep to even be able to achieve this tempo without it being absurd. So I have a couple of things to add, but I want to let Jay go here real quick. Jay, come on in. Enter the fray. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so I think uh, Brad Schoenfeld, he's got a paper. Did you guys read that paper, the very recent one on tempo training and hyper, hypertrophy, where it, it showed that there was really no difference as far as how, which make that makes a lot of sense at the end of the day. Like it, it, it makes a lot of sense. I haven't read the whole entire thing yet, but uh, it basically just said, you know, using tempos really doesn't change the amount of hypertrophic effect later on. Um, so that makes sense. But usually I'll use them if, like Cam was saying, and like Paul said, you know, if, if someone's technique is just bad, I'll have them slow it down. Um, and usually it is those exercises. Like, uh, <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Holy shit, it's dumb. Dom, we're talking about tempos. You literally came in just at the right time. <laughs> and then he leaves. <laughs> but yeah, so if somebody's uh, technique or form is really bad, so in those exercises like side laterals, if somebody's just flying away, you know, where people do that weird thing where they're like throwing their hands backward, you know, if I can kind of show them the way they should be doing it and have them slow it down a bunch, then that'll kind of aid in that. 
Um, so usually somebody's techniques really bad, especially uh, big compound movements like barbell back squats and stuff like that. If you can get them to slow it down a bunch, um, that'll definitely help a bit because then once they get to the point, because when you slow it down, you have to use less weight. So, you know, and then what happens then, if you can move, if you start to work yourself back up to your previous working weight and you're moving it at a tempo, the tempo that you're using before, you'd probably be able to move a lot more weight. So it actually kind of trains technique and strength possibly for, I don't know, I'm probably making that portion up, but it sounds really good. Um, so there's that portion. And somebody, if somebody's just like absurdly strong at certain movements, um, the one person I can think of is Big Steve. Um, Big Steve, the bench press is useless. Steve, if you're listening to this, there's no need for you to bench press unless you're using a tempo because you're ridiculously strong at it. So as soon as you start adding in a tempo, the whole thing changes for Big Steve. He starts to realize that, you know, there may be some points in that lift where he might not, you know, he might just be using his triceps the entire time. So the thing, it, it kind of changes things a bit. So I think that's where I usually like to use them. If, if technique is an issue, if form is an issue, um, or if they're really, really strong at movements that I think are fairly important, I'll have them use some tempos. Um, little side tangent or story. So when the whole COVID thing dropped and we went on lockdown, uh, me being the fittest professional that I am, I did nothing for like six months at all. I took that <laughs> as an opportunity to do nothing. So when I came back to the gym, I used tempos to kind of, you know, re-ingrain a lot of movement patterns in my head, which kind of, it helps me now, you know, almost what, it's been eight months or something like that since we've been able to go back to gyms here in Florida. And uh, it, it's helped me a ton because now the technique is, it's a lot safer. And, and with that, my my working weights went down a bunch. So then I'm not using the same pounders that I were before that were probably just banging up my old joints because I was doing stupid shit. And I like that you said that because uh, I give a decent amount of tempo squats. And that's something I write in the notes of the movement uh, now as I'm like, hey, this is an opportunity to spend more time in every part of the lift and feel if something feels stupid. You know, because yeah. when you're just crashing to the bottom and the bar just flies up and you're like, that was an easy squat felt like shit, but it was an easy squat. Like you yeah. spend time pausing at the bottom, going down slow and you're like, oh, I'm off balance at this point. Or my lower back feels like I'm not braced anymore when I hit the hole or something like, hey, something needs to change. We need to change your stance. We need to change the way you brace, whatever. And yeah. with, uh, I'm sorry, go ahead, Jason. So I think, you know, if you start to change the tempo on certain things, especially like a, a back squat or something, you give somebody a tempo back squat and you make them realize that them just falling into the hole and then using their <laughs> joints to basically cushion that, and then that's their pause. That's not really a pause at all. Your muscles are doing nothing. You're literally just using your skeleton smashed up against each other to keep you upright. And then you're trying to turn all your muscles on to stand up. So, you know, if you kind of give somebody a tempo where you're like, okay, Right before you get to the bottom, that's where you stop yeah. and hold that for a second and then power out. And they go, oh, that's a lot different than what I was doing before. And you're like, yeah, because that's how the movement should be performed. You shouldn't be slamming yourself into the ground, hamstrings to calves, and then trying to bounce off the bottom. You know, uh, you know we used to do that shit all the time, you know, back when I met Ryan, you know, powerlifting belted up. Uh, knee sleeved up, just ready to do a damage. bunch of shit to hold your body together so that you can take that impact. Yeah. I'll say back to kind of Paul, you were talking about programming uh, tempoed back squats as one of the days, and that's something we've been doing lately with trying to figure out 
how I can squat with my long ass legs and body. And I'll say it's super nice knowing, you know, I've got one day where I'm going in and squatting and my mindset is more like, okay, like get ready for this. Like we're doing heavier loads. I'm working today. And then I have another day where I'm going in and I'm thinking a lot more, being a lot more technical with things, um, you know, filming stuff, not really having to worry too much about the load or joints or anything like that hurting. Um, and, in this scenario, uh, doing that and being able to practice technique and stuff when it comes to a back squat, you know, one of the things that you'll be focusing on is bracing in your core. And that's going to translate over to other movements and teach you new skills and abilities on how to brace better. Yeah. I when Cam said that, I just imagine him one day a week. He just goes in blindfolded, tells his girlfriend to put whatever on the bar. And the other day, day he just puts on his thinking cap and he's like, "All right, we're going to be smart about this." <laughs> one day I go in wearing atomic shoes, full sweat, <laughs> strings tied. The other day I'm wearing a tucked in shirt into my shorts, clipboard in the back pocket. <laughs> Paul, Paul, check my logic on this one. So the use of tempo serves as an artificial limiter to lower the weight and in quickly fatigue or in a quicker sense fatigue through those low threshold motor units and get to the high threshold motor units faster in fewer reps with less load on the bar that logic train check out i agree yes i so, bet i would be willing to bet i haven't tested this out that if you could just do a high rep set to fatigue and then a similar load with a tempo that the time under tension would probably be very similar very similar and then the hypertrophy or the hypertrophic stimulus should be relatively similar as well correct should be should be yeah so if we circle uh, back to this question jay, of rethinking jay read the paper it, it wasn't harmful nor helpful, right? Yeah, it's pretty much the same. And was it, was it the, volume if you equated, to, load equated? I believe it was volume equated. I, I didn't read the whole entire thing. I got about halfway through because I've got a stack of things that I'm supposed to read. And I don't just read, read the last line uh, of the abstract. I just yeah. read the abstract and the conclusion. <laughs> and that's um, it. Fucking. <laughs> but that's something for the listeners to definitely take note of if they haven't. I hope they have uh, that. None of us said it was better for hypertrophy, but it, it's very useful for other things that could be could enhance your hypertrophy over the long term. Yeah. Well, fuck Paul. Here we go. Why it's better for hypertrophy. Circling back to our first question <laughs> of reaching your true potential is how to consistently do things over time. One of the easiest ways to consistently not be in the gym is having horrible tempo and relying on far too heavy loads on movements. Trust me, I've been there. I've done this before. I would lay in bed on my stomach and my legs would be numb because my back was so fucked up at the time because I was moving those heavy loads. Had I used a tempo back then, more reasonable form, controlled eccentrics, I probably could have gotten away with lower loads, less repetitions, less total volume, and gotten a similar, if not better, hypertrophic response because I wouldn't have been injured so often. You actually just brought up something else. Uh, the word consistency, keeping your reps consistent so that it's a really good way. It's probably easier to maintain similar form from workout to workout and be sure you're progressing. 
Don't yeah. film your shit. Film your film your lifts. Send them to your coach. They like that stuff. And also, you know what's a pet peeve for me? Because I used to actually do this. When people get like mad when someone walks in front of the camera at the gym, I'm like, oh, how dare you walk in front of my camera at the gym? It's like you're not and you're not like on a movie shoot where everyone's like looking for cameras everywhere and they're like, oh no, I can't get in front of this person's camera. You're at the fucking gym. You're the fucking weirdo who's videoing yourself lift that just innocent that innocent fucking 92 year old man is just there to read his newspaper on the adductor machine how about you just leave him alone just film your next hit don't be a fucking asshole about it the other day somebody apologized to me for walking through my camera or whatever and i was just like it's cool man i don't own this space and also i did like 15 reps it's cool if i miss like two of it <laughs> like <laughs> 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 But I see these people like post the videos online. And they're like, "Yo, fuck this guy for walking through my videos." Like, Whoa! The guy was just trying to like go home, like pick up his kids from school and shit. And you're like, "Fuck this guy!" I apologize to people when they walk in front of my camera. Like, I'm so sorry that's there. I feel weird filming myself still to this day. I still, I'm so like, uh, do I put this here? Like, are you using this? I'm gonna, I'm gonna set my phone here to film myself because I love. Seeing myself so much, it just feels weird still. Oh, you know who is allowed to be mad though? Like Jamal's going for a thousand pound deadlift yeah. in the gym. One yeah. rep. <laughs> yeah, nobody cares about my 30 pound curl. Nobody gives a shit. <laughs> I, I do. <laughs> All right, guys, that is going to wrap us up. Another episode, another Q&A episode of the Gifted Performance Podcast. As always, guys, like, comment, subscribe, send it to your friends. Just put this on repeat and let your dog watch it while you're at work all day. We love that kind of stuff. We love the views. We love the ad revenue. It's what we pump into our veins. It's what makes us strong as a group. Um, as always, we're going to have questions. Ask me anything on our stories. So make sure you take advantage of those. Follow Jason at the underscore complete meathead Cameron Cheek at Cameron underscore Cheek at Polly underscore Rocket up I'm, top and and I am at Thomas underscore Neil the one and only don't get it confused ask me all of your obscure questions I love questions about irregularities in bowel movements so if you've had a lot of strange bowel movements lately that's at Tomas underscore Neil send them on over I would be happy happy to answer them here and if you're in contest prep maybe like four weeks out and you're not shitting as much something's really wrong definitely dm thomas <laughs> multiple dms and honestly if i don't respond it's because i'm playing hard to get send like six or seven more pictures are definitely yeah. definitely encouraged so just keep sending them and eventually i will respond I cannot even participate in this tomfoolery because I get it. You, I get it. You, I see what you did there. You have, oh, you have scorned me. I didn't get the memo. The gifted team has other shit that they can pop in their body to get jacked. Whoa. All right. We're going to cut it off there before things <laughs> get too out of control. We'll see you on the next one, guys. As always, stay gifted. <laughs>